had so far. Thank you to the musicians, everybody for singing out and to be able to share the Lord's Supper. I have a message this morning that I'm going to go ahead and cut to the point and we'll be done uh, on time here, Lord willing, with a couple of announcements here at the end. Next week, we're going to have our event where we've reached out to a lot of people to come to church and maybe to the uh, block party that we're having after church, and I'll announce more about that at the end. But the following week, we'll have an evangelist here to preach for us Easter Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, we're going to start a new preaching series entitled Always Rejoicing, going verse by verse through the uh, book of Philippians. So if you'd be in prayer for that, that the Lord would bless the preaching of his word, and even now as I prepare, but this morning... We have a simple topical message that we've prepared in our main text are going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 22 and then in the book of Proverbs chapter 30. So we'll go ahead at this time and read our text verses all together at once and then we'll go to the time of the preaching. I'll read them, but we'll read them straight through. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now a few verses from Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 2 through 6. Surely I am more brutish than any man. And have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. We'll be speaking from the subject this morning, do not add or subtract. And before we pray, I just want to say, Arturo, welcome back, and we love you. Okay, make sure you communicate that to your dad. I'm so glad that you're back with us here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, the simple thoughts that I've tried to prepare and lay out from the text, I pray we could look to the verses of Scripture and say, Thus saith the Lord, with no prejudice or agenda or any other ambition other than to look to the word of God, to tell what it means, and then to draw application from it. I pray you'd help my mind this morning. I pray you'd help the minds of the people listening, that we would listen and apply the word of God Help me now and help us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was driving one time, I forget where to, but I was in the car with my wife, Melissa, and I remembered that I had some information that I needed to have communicated to a family member. So I said, since I'm driving and I can do this safely, I'm going to keep both hands on the wheel. I'm going to give you a text message. Would you please text them for me? 
And I said, would you let them know that we're going to be there at this time? And can they bring this? And can they do that? And then can they let me know when they've accomplished that and what time it will be? And she pulled out her phone and she typed for about four seconds and she hit send. And I said, wait a minute, there's no way you had enough time to type out everything that I told you. She said, well, the way you said it was way too long, so I just put it in my own words. And I said, wait a minute, I wanted it communicated the way that I wanted it communicated, whether you thought it was too long or not. Now, listen, that's a bit of a funny story, but our text verses this morning tell us that God does not take lightly when we as his people or people who claim to be his representatives change his words. He has commanded us we are not to take away and we are not to add to his words. We're supposed to give it exactly as it is. And if I got upset at my words being changed, how must God Almighty feel when those who presume to speak for Him take it upon themselves to change the words of God? There's several different ways that this can be accomplished. Some denominations and, and religions like the Jehovah's Witnesses have literally changed God's word by making their own Bible. They take their own Bible and edit it to say what they want it to say, despite 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament that have been preserved that we could compare and look to see what did God say. They will change the words in the very Bible to support what their church teaches. And God says we are not to do that. But there's also two different ways that we can change God's word. Number one, God has told us, do not take away from what God has said. It's possible then to not add any words or to tell an outright lie, but to misrepresent someone by leaving out vital information that they wanted to communicate. There was a comic strip one time I remember reading where the mom walked in and he asked the teenager, she asked the teenager, did you eat breakfast? What did you have for breakfast? He said, I had grapes, oranges, and milk. And then the mom left and the brother said, really? You didn't tell her it was grape soda, orange slices, and milk duds that you had for breakfast. You see, in his mind, he might have thought, well, I'm technically getting by with sort of telling the truth, but he left out information and in so doing was intentionally deceptive. Leaving out key details is dishonest. And if you are investigated by the police in certain situations, there is a crime that is called withholding evidence. You don't necessarily have to tell an outright lie by adding to the record, but you can still be charged with a crime if you intentionally withhold information that is vital because it's dishonest to do so. The charge, spoilation of evidence, is the intentional, reckless, or negligent withholding, hiding, altering, fabricating, or destroying of evidence relevant to a legal proceeding. Hence, when you go to be a witness in a legal setting, you have to raise your hand and swear that you will not just tell the truth, but that you will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You could be asked, as I said, did you clean your room? while you're on the phone and you could run over real quick and take one piece of trash and throw it in the can and say, yes, I cleaned my room, but you left out the fact that was the only part of your room that you cleaned. Well, unfortunately, many times people who claim to speak for God have been guilty of either intentional, reckless, or negligent withholding, hiding, altering, fabricating, or destroying relevant information from the Word of God 
itself. This verse in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. A couple of things about this verse. First of all, we believe that what he's speaking about here is the book of Revelation. It was the book of prophecy that God, by his spirit, revealed to the apostle John. And when he finishes it, it's going to be distributed to the churches. And he gives the warning, you're not supposed to take away any of the words of the prophecy of that book. Then he says, or God will take away your part out of the book of life. Now, what does he mean by this verse? I don't believe that our salvation can be lost. First of all, let me say that. I believe in eternal security. I believe if you are a child of God at this moment, then eternal life is your present possession. And by definition, if you possess it at this moment and it's eternal, it cannot be lost. We remember that verse 17 was a call to salvation. The Holy Spirit of God and His church, the bride, are saying, Come, come be part of the kingdom of heaven. Receive the word of God. Bless and believe. Therefore, I believe that what what the text here is saying is that changing God's words in Revelation or anywhere in the Bible intentionally would give evidence that you are not saved and you will not be a part of the kingdom of God. A little bit of commentary here on this verse. Those who take away from God's word will not share in the tree of life or have access to the eternal city. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's all profitable for every area of our life. Anyone who detracts from scripture hurts not only others, but also himself. We need the entire body of scripture to believe right and to behave right. We dare not reject passages of Scripture because they convict us or contradict what we believe. We cannot choose to believe some passages are from God and others are not. We must never read Scriptures as if we're prepared to use scissors to cut out what we don't like. A modern tendency is to consider a passage God's Word only if it speaks to us. Scripture is objective truth and not subject to human opinion. Therefore, we have no right to leave out what God has said and what God wants to be communicated from His Word. The Bible is inspired by God. We believe that it's God's Word and that all of it is God's Word. Did you know that the Bible is not everything that God knows? The Bible is not everything that there is to know. There's things that even Scripture itself has told us God has intentionally left out of the Bible because He doesn't want us to know. Even the Apostle John in the writing of Revelation, he's receiving these different signs and seals and thunderings and God tells him what it means and he writes it down. And the Bible says at one point there was something that came forth from God and John went to write it down and the Holy Spirit said, no, not that part. That part I don't want the church to know. Why? We don't know till we get to heaven. Maybe it wouldn't have given away too many clues about when the end and the events of Revelation are to come. But what I'm simply saying is the Bible is not everything God knows or everything that there is to know, but it is everything He wanted you or I to know. It doesn't need more added to it. And it certainly doesn't need anything taken away from it. Hence, the first point is that we are not to take away from the Word of God. 
Withholding evidence is dishonest. How dare we change God's words by by editing it out? We can do that by removing the words and making our own translation of the Bible like the Jehovah's Witness or Thomas Jefferson or other people in history have done. Or we can take away from the words of God by taking it out of context or just refusing to talk about the controversial parts. There's a term that's called snowballing. That if you go to write a paper and you come to a sort of a difficult question that you were supposed to address and you just kind of throw a whole lot of words out there, but just kind of try and roll past the difficult part without giving a very specific answer to that question, it's called snowballing. And I've gone to commentaries time after time reading through pages of commentary because there's one very difficult question from scripture I at least want to see what was their opinion on. What's their evidence? What's their reasoning? And the commentator kind of writes a whole lot of words, but you get past that verse and he never actually gave you any specific information on what he believed that verse was saying. Therefore, it would be possible for us to go to the Word of God and to sort of snowball past the parts that are controversial that we don't want to talk about. There's many different reasons that we may be tempted to leave things out of the Word of God or not focus on. Because our culture is sinful. And there are things that are accepted in our culture as normal behavior that the Bible speaks against. Therefore, if we wanted to, we could go week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and find a way to go to parts of the Bible, but leave out the parts that rebuke the prevalent sin in our culture, and that would be wrong. In Acts chapter number 20, Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus. And he goes, and verse 17 says he calls the elders of the church, who we believe would be the pastors of that local church. This is one of several texts in the New Testament where he addresses the same group of leaders as elders, bishops, overseers, and pastors. So we believe that that's what he's speaking of. Different titles that describe the different aspects of the same office. But Paul's getting ready to leave. He's labored among these people. He's given the gospel. He's helped to make disciples. And now the overseers of the church are going to be responsible for that local work. And he brings them together to give them some vital information. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons." serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by lying in wait of the Jews. Here's what he's doing. He's telling the pastors, remember how I behave myself. Look at my example, and now I'm going to charge you to do the same thing, to serve the Lord with humility of mind, with tears, to be willing to face the trials and serve God faithfully. And he continues by looking to his own example. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul says, not only did I not give you false information, I didn't keep anything back. I delivered to you all the vital information that God wanted me to. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, 
so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What is Paul saying? He's saying some of the people who heard me communicate the gospel message may very well die and go to a devil's hell. But it's not going to be my fault because I was willing to give them all the pertinent information that God commanded me to. And then notice what he says in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul said, I will be innocent before God because I did not come to preach in this city and select and pick and skip around the Bible and give the message that I wanted to give or the message that I thought would be popular, the message that I thought would be received. But Paul says, I am innocent in the eyes of God because I have given you the whole counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock That's the office of a pastor watching over the sheep over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The same word for bishop, the overseers of the church to do what? To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul repeats this message and it's very clear from the context here. He's not saying think up what you want them to eat and feed them your words. But he's saying take the word of God and faithfully feed the church and give them all the counsel of God. Following my examples like I have done. Paul wrote to his, his, the young man who was following him, he was mentor, who he was mentoring in the faith to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And he said, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And what I'm saying is that to faithfully preach the word is to not leave anything out. Confront sin. Preach the Bible. Preach it all in context. And do not take things away from it because you are afraid of the backlash. We live in a day and age where you can go on TikTok or whatever other platform and find people who claim to be pastors speaking for God, saying that the Bible is not against the homosexual lifestyle. It's okay, live that way if you want to, and I'll try to twist my brain into a pretzel to prove that the Bible does not say that that's wrong. But it's a sin because it's leaving out, it's twisting what God is saying, and it's changing His words Paul said in Galatians 4.16 to this church he was rebuking, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth? You tell the truth in this day and age according to the word of God, and a whole lot of people will get mad at you and count you as their enemy. But this morning, if you went to your doctor's office and you you had an appointment and you said, I've got a problem. And and he said, oh, we need to do tests. And then the doctor came back and said, oh, you're doing fine. It must just be an anomaly. There's no problem. And then months went on and you continued to suffer and you could tell something wasn't right. And you went back to the doctor and you said, Doctor, I feel like I'm about to die. Are you sure there's nothing wrong? And found out from the doctor, well, actually the test came back that you had cancer, but I didn't want you to be mad at me. I didn't want to offend you. So I just decided to tell you you were okay, even though the evidence said you were not. You would be angry at him. You would want the truth from your doctor. But just like we want the truth from our doctor, we should all want the truth from the preaching of the Word of God to say it doesn't matter if it rebukes me, if it offends me, if you can show me from the text where I am in the wrong, then simply give me the truth so that I can change, so that I can try to get better. 
So then we can change God's words by taking away from them. But we also can change God's words by adding unto them. God said, do not take away. And God said, do not add. Revelation twenty two nineteen said that if any man take away from the words of the book of life, that God would take away his part out of the book. And then he went on in the next verse to say, but if any man adds to his words, he in like manner will rebuke him. The text we looked at from Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 4 says, Who hath ascended up into heaven? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? He's saying, Who can know the mind of God? Who can claim to be as wise as God is? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Praise God because of the New Testament record. We can tell his name is God. And his son's name is Jesus Christ. Every word of God is pure. There's nothing in the Bible that is a mistake. If it's scripture, it's inspired. If it's inspired, it's scripture. If it's inspired scripture, it's infallible. And it is necessary that we have every word of God to live our life by. Then he says this, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. You go to dad and say, can I do this? Well, ask your mom. Mom said it's okay. Later on, if... Mom finds out what happened and mom didn't say that it was okay. There's going to be some judgment that's going to come down. You'll be in trouble. How much the more if we as God's children add to his words by claiming that God said something that God did not say. Do not dare to claim something. Let me read this. Do not dare to claim God said something that God did not say. It is just as bad and as wicked in the eyes of God to add to Scripture as it is to take away. In the Pentateuch, in the book of Deuteronomy, God gave this instruction to the nation of Israel. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, hath given you. Then notice verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. This is Old Testament Jews. And he very, caref very carefully told them, don't diminish aught from it, don't take away. But he also said, don't add to it. Don't add to it. Verse 4, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whether ye go to possess it. Keep therefore, and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. They were supposed to faithfully obey the words of God, not take away and not add, so that the testimony would go forth to all the nations of the world. Not that the Jewish people were great, but that God was great, and that God had blessed them. This was their charge. One more, Deuteronomy twelve thirty two. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. To attribute to God what God did not say is just as bad 
as leaving out what God has clearly said. Let me give you a couple of brief examples and then we'll move to close. There's a movement still in the northern part of the United States in the Northeast that has its ties back to the German Anabaptist churches. And many of these people are living the lifestyle of the Amish or Mennonite culture. And what they do is they have a local church assembly and the men, the leaders of the church, get together and they come up with binding rules for the entire congregation and say, we determine that you must keep all of these rules. What kind of rules? Depending on where they they are, they'll say you're not allowed to have a beard or you must trim your beard this way. They'll say you're not allowed to have rubber tires on your tractor. They'll tell the men you're only allowed to wear black. And they'll say you're not allowed to have internet in your home. The leaders make a list of rules that are extra biblical rules. You see, the Bible contains a lot of rules. Those we must proclaim faithfully. The Bible proclaims a lot of principles that we must apply but not try to claim as a Bible truth that which is not clearly taught within the Bible. You see, the Jews within the the Torah, they had 613 rules that came directly from God. But later on, they began to add oral teachings of the law, then a commentary, then a commentary on the commentary, and contained in the Mishnah and the Talmud and in their tradition, they literally added thousands of rules that were never in the Bible to begin with. And in so doing, by adding to the law of God, they actually violated one of the direct laws of God, which is do not add unto my words. The Jews have a rule that say at dinner, you're not allowed to drink a glass of milk while you eat meat. They added that rule because there was an Old Testament scripture that said thou shalt not boil the kid in its mother's milk. It said don't take a little baby animal and boil it in the milk that came from its own mother. Probably because it was some type of a pagan ritual and cruel by nature to do such a thing. But they analyzed it every which way and they said well that's a a mixing of, of milk and of meat. Therefore you can't drink a glass of milk while you eat a piece of meat. But it was a rule that did not come from God. It was a rule that came from them analyzing the word of God and adding to it over and over again. They also contained in their tradition had a hand washing ceremony that before they ate was very ritualistic and sanctimonious. And they were supposed to do this ceremony that would chase away the evil demons and wash their hands in a certain way before they were to eat. And this came up in the gospel record in Mark chapter 7. It says the Pharisees came together to Jesus and the scribes and they saw some of his disciples who were eating bread with defiled, that is to say, unwashing hands, and they found fault. Here were leaders who Jesus was about to point out were ripping off widows and poor people. They were sending people to hell because they were leading them astray from God and in their pride, they wanted all the glory that belonged only to God. Yet they saw Jesus and his disciples who were healing people, who were preaching the gospel, who were getting ready to give the great commission to the whole world. Here's how you can be saved. And they saw his disciples pluck some corn and eat without going through the proper hand ceremony. And they found fault. Oftentimes there will be religious, ceremonious, legalistic people who have sin in their own heart that is terrible. But they are very good at finding fault with others around them because they perceive the other people not to be as religious and spiritual as they are. But Jesus is going to set the record straight. 
For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not. Holding the what? The tradition of the elders. It was not a command of God. It was a tradition. And when they were come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and, and brazen vessels and of tables. You see the picture. It was a ceremony they had to go through. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And Jesus is getting ready to do as he often did, to turn and rebuke them sharply. And here he will tell them, as people who claim to speak for God, it is their job not to proclaim to others the tradition of men, but rather the commandments of God himself. And he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Pharisees proved it is possible to have lips that seem to honor God by what we say and an outside that seems to honor God by how we present ourselves and do actions outwardly that seem to make us very spiritual, but have a heart that is very far from God. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus rebuked them because they taught in place of doctrine commandments of men. They took the commandments of men and elevated them to the commandments of God, and in so doing they added to God's words. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. For he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. I'll leave that verse up there on the screen for just a minute to see just how much God called out people who took traditions that came from men and elevated them to commandments of God. Now, traditions may not be wrong on their own. The Bible is full with a lot of principles that we must look at the principles and see, how would God have me to follow this principle? What should I leave, lead my family to do? Leadership of church, what should they lead their particular church to do? But the problem comes is that what people end up doing is they look at the way they have been taught, things that are traditions, decisions they have made. And even if it's not found in the Bible, they turn and judge other people and rebuke other people as being less spiritual, even though it may be over something that is a tradition and not clearly commanded in the Word of God. Jesus went on here in Mark chapter 7 to describe that they were using tradition to go contrary to the Bible itself. For the Bible had said that the children were to care for their parents when they got when they were elderly, when they were decrepit and no longer able to, to provide for themselves. But the verses that follow in Mark 7, Jesus told the Pharisees that they had begun to teach people, if you take your money and designate it as a gift to the church, you can tell your parents, well, I guess you're out of luck. You'll have to live on the street because that money is designated to God. And somehow they were using that as a workaround to take kickbacks or to have that money designated to go to the church at a future date, whereby the people could hold on to their money and the Pharisees could get some of it, but they were disobeying God's word by refusing to care for their parents. And the Pharisees said, we found a loophole that comes from tradition. The loophole said, if you promise it to God, it has to go to God. So then promise this money to God and you don't have to use it to care for your parents. But Jesus said, you're keeping your own tradition. And in so doing, you are rejecting the commandment of God. 
And people will criticize other people and come up with very specific rules for the kind of music that you're allowed to listen to. And they will draw the line where they can't point to a verse where God has drawn the line. In the past, people have written books and they said to people who were single and looking forward to their future, saying, you need to live according to the Word of God and seek to live a life of purity. And if you do that, God will send you someone special, the right person at the right time. And God will give you an incredible future in marriage if you obey God. But the problem is, God says do right because it's right. God doesn't say do right, and therefore I promise I will give you a perfect person. Do right, and I promise I will give you an overabundantly full of joy life. Some people have done right and didn't get married. Some people have lived their lives right, and then their spouse went and sinned, and it was not their fault. My point is, even if you think your motive is right, don't add to the Word of God. Don't claim God said He would do something that God did not promise for sure He would do. People have mocked other Christians and condemned them as not being Christian because they had different rules and practices for the way that they dressed, the entertainment that they followed, the music that they listened to. Some people have even looked to the verse of, of Scripture in First John, and when someone changes the structure of their church, they'll say, they went out from among us, but they were not of us, else they would have remained with us. Pull that out as a shotgun over the smallest of issues to blast somebody. But in context, it's talking about people who deny Christ as Savior. That's only a verse that is to be used for someone who reveals themselves to be an apostate by denying Christ. But we want to pull it out and use it to shoot somebody else because they have a different practice from us. And in our pride, we want to be more spiritual because we draw the line somewhere else. Don't get me wrong. This church is a conservative church. I believe in having rules and lines to try and protect ourselves from the worldly influences, be it in the church or in the home. But what I'm saying is don't confuse where you draw the line and your rules for your household that are not in the Bible with the Word of God itself and become a Pharisee and judgmental in your heart over a brother or sister in Christ that practices something slightly differently. If the Bible speaks, we must speak. Clearly, loudly, without apology. If the Bible is silent, we must allow for Christian liberty and let God lead our brothers and sisters in Christ and not make ourselves the judge by adding to the Word of God and claiming that God said something God did not say. I'm moving to close here. Listen on purpose, if you would, to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. This was his charge to preachers to preach the Word of God, not their own words. Dear brethren, because the mouth of the Lord hath spoken the truth of God, we therefore endeavor to preach it with absolute fidelity. We repeat the word as a child repeats his lesson. It is not ours to correct the divine revelation, but simply to echo it. I do not take it to be my office to bring you new and original thoughts of my own, but rather to say the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Believing that the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it, it is my duty to repeat it to you as correctly as I can after having heard it and felt it in my own soul. It is not mine to amend or adapt the gospel. What? Shall we attempt to improve upon what God has revealed? The infinitely wise, is he to be corrected by creatures of a day? Is the infallible revelation of the infallible Jehovah to be shaped, moderated, and toned down to the fashions and fancies of the hour? God forgive us if we have ever altered His Word unwittingly 
Wittingly, we have not done so, nor will we. His children sit at His feet and receive of His words. And then they rise up in the power of His Spirit to publish far and near the word which the Lord has given. He that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully, is the Lord's injunction to us. If we could abide with the Father according to our measure, after the manner of the Lord Jesus, and then come forth from communion with Him to tell what He has taught us in His Word, we should be accepted of the Lord as preachers, and accepted also of His living people far more than if we were to dive into the profound depths of science or rise to the loftiest flights of rhetoric. What is the chaff to the wheat? What are man's discoverings to the teachings of the Lord? The mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Therefore, O man of God, add not to his words, lest he add to thee the plagues which are written in his book. I'm afraid there's been far too many Bible verses preached out of context, twisted to fit a point or an agenda, rather than looking and saying faithfully, what do I believe is the job that God has called preachers to do? Don't spend your week in content creation trying to come up with what you want to say. Look to the Word of God in investigation. Find out what it says so that you can confidently stand up and tell the people, Thus saith the Lord. That's what God said. And that's what Spurgeon said. He said, Do not desire in your heart to be admired by the scientist or the doctors. Don't go to the pulpit and try to tell the people, I've discovered some great things. Rather go to them and say, I believe with all confidence I can say, this is what this text is meaning. This is how we apply it. Not thus saith me, but thus saith the Lord. I claim it with His authority. That's what the church should want. That's what true believers do want. Not tickle my ears, entertain me, tell me what I want to hear, tell me it's okay. But we're hungry for the Word. Preach the Word. Tell us what God has said. Very simply, this morning, God has commanded, do not take away from His Word. God has commanded, do not add to His Word. And then in closing, remember that salvation is paid for. Do not try to add to the payment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of His grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, there is no more work. In other words, he's saying here in Romans 11, you can't go to God and say, I have faith and works. That's how I want to be accepted of you. No, he said, either you're saved by grace, and if you try to add works then it can't be grace by definition. The beauty of the gospel is that the Bible is not trying to tell us, here's what you have to do to get to heaven, but rather here's what Jesus Christ has already done, that you can rest in His payment and enter into heaven by receiving His free gift of salvation. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness is come by the law, then is Christ dead in vain. In other words, if you could get saved by keeping the law and not sinning, Why did Christ have to die? Do you really think God would have let His precious Holy Son go through the abuse of the cross? If there was another way we could be saved? It's only in the cross we hope, only in the cross we rest. Do not frustrate yourself by trying to add good works, baptism, church membership, or any other thing to God as an offering for payment for your soul. We believe it is by grace alone. Through faith alone, it is the gift of God. And in this we rejoice, for none of us could be good enough to earn it. But all of us can humble ourselves and receive the gift. Let's bow for prayer.
Melissa is going to come and play for just a moment. We'll have a, a two-minute time of prayer here, and then we'll give a couple of announcements, and we'll be dismissed. Whatever God has spoken to your heart about today, would you pray? Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts.